Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Mm. Okay, footage is rolling here. All right. Everybody ready? Ready. Uh, here I am, on the road again We're on our way to record another podcast, ain't that right, Henry? Yeah, well, it's not exactly Mark Marin, I know But we got a few listeners And I got a feeling this next episode is gonna snag us a truckload more, right, mate? What's that? You want to know what movie we're talking? Well, my faithful canine friend, today we're talking the Aussie classic, Road. Whoa! Jeez! Watch it there, Earnhardt! Gah, what's the hurry, Tony Tesla? Your battery running low? Why don't you tell your autopilot to watch the road? Or prepare to kiss that muskus goodbye, salacious vermin. Base, Corey to Jack 39 do you copy? Over. <sighs> Base Corey, this is Jack 39er. I copy loud and clear. What's the word, Larry Bird? 39er, we have an emergency situation with Justin. It appears he does not have a DVD of this week's film. Over. Oh, shit. Base Corey, are you pulling my axle? Over. Negative 39er. He says he's only got a VHS copy. Over. VHS? Who in the hell has VHS tapes anymore? Well, like the Frost Man says. These tapes are lovely, dare I say, but I have DVDs to play and miles to go before Blu-ray. My... What's that, Henry? My God, I think you're right. There's a VCR in the back of the trailer. Henry, you old dog, you did it again. Base Corey, this is 3-Niner. I think we found a solution. Tell Justin to put on a pot of brown and break me off a celery stick. Because I'm putting the pedal to the metal and coming in double time. Because today, we're talking road games on... This is Cinema with Jack and Justin. 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be cast to the wind, thy ghastly sin. Mm Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, Justin, uh, I, I had a bit of a road game played on me this week. What happened? I was literally hit by a car. On While you were on foot? While on foot. Stop. It's true. I went out to walk Henry, my dog, who you just heard uh, in the cold open, and um, it was pouring rain. The sun was still out, but it was going down. And as we were walking, I saw multiple cars in our neighborhood just flat out run stop signs, just like kind of barrel right through them in the rain. And the sun was going down, it was getting dark, so I was like, screw this, we're going back home. So we're walking back home, I have my umbrella, and Henry, and I start crossing the street at a stop sign, and I see this car coming, and I can just tell by the way it's driving, I don't think it's going to stop at the stop sign. So I stop, I'm kind of, I'm not in the middle of the road, but I'm in the road, like in a lane, and I stop and watch, and of course that car just goes right through the stop sign, and cruises right along, and I mean mug it all the way across me as it's passing, and as it's passing, I feel headlights coming from behind me, coming from the other direction, and I scream, (laughs) and I turn, and this car is not five feet away from me. It slams its brakes, and I jump. I do what I've always thought I would do if a car was going to hit me. Jump. Yeah, that's what my imagination mm-hmm. is. It's like, if you just jump, maybe that'll absorb the impact. Right, yeah. So I jumped. Mm-hmm. And as I jumped, I threw my left hand out to to like brace myself. And my left hand and arm c- impact with the the hood of the car. And the sound of like my wedding ring hitting the, the hood was like a firecracker. It was so loud. And I landed back down and it did not hit my legs, but I basically landed on the car with my arm. And thank God Henry was on the right side of me because it would have completely crushed him. Had it hit my legs, I think it would have broken my legs because he was going. I think the only reason why he stopped was because I yelled. I went, hey! And he immediately like rolled his window down and he had this like pale look on his face and he was holding his phone because he was clearly texting and not looking where he was going. If I was in that situation, the first thing I would have done was throw Throw the phone into the back seat. Mm -hmm. But he was so in such shock as well that he was still holding it up to his fucking face. He was like, oh my God, dude, I'm so sorry. That's my bad. Are you okay? And I got mad. I was like, there's a fucking stop sign. So two people rolled this. My my reaction to this was just anger because it was like two assholes in a row that happened back to back and created like a fucking final destination situation for me where there was nowhere I could go. I was literally standing in the road, stopped allowing one asshole to run a stop sign, unknowingly that a second asshole was coming up behind me doing the exact same thing. And now where do I go? I can't go one way. I'll get creamed by this asshole. I can't go another way. So I had to just jump and thank God. I mean, screaming and jumping saved my legs at least and i think saved henry's life everybody knows if you don't jump you go under the car so if you jump you go over and you you have a 
50 percent higher chance and there was of- a lady there and she was like did he hit you and i was like he did but it, i'm okay like i didn't it didn't hurt me my hand hurt it felt like i had uh slapped somebody as hard as i could so did he did he what did he say he just kept saying sorry mm-hmm. he just kept being like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and i was like one, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of the road. So I immediately like marched to the side of the road. But then as I kind of like took in my, I'm like, I'm not hurt. Henry's not hurt. Yeah. It's pouring literally cats and dogs. It was pouring so hard that I was just like, essentially kind of just gave him a little fuck you and then kept walking. I didn't, and the, didn't the, try to get any information out of him. The first Mad Max who rolled the stop sign, what did, did he stick? Oh, he never stopped. He didn't stick he, around. He, he he did that thing where you could tell he probably saw me, but pretended not to see me where he's looked, but yeah. he was sitting too still. I didn't see it, so I didn't do yeah, anything exactly. wrong. Don't acknowledge, don't acknowledge yeah. that there's a man in the road. And I was, I was daring, I was giving him the evil yeah. eye just as I was about to get fucking creamed by another car. Seems like he, he won that road game. Yeah, I mean, I was the loser. I do feel lucky. I feel extremely lucky because, I mean, yeah, I would say my life flashed before my eyes. It didn't. I did have the sense of I'm, I'm about to get destroyed right now, but I didn't have the thing that people have where they um, see their whole existence come come before them. But later, I did. You know, like it's crazy how quickly I was just in a situation yeah. where I had no, basically, no control over. That should change your life. I mean, that should change his life. Like, I hope it did. If something like that happened to me, I've never touch somebody with my car but i've had a few moments where i I had to slam on the brakes oh yeah and if i'm on my you know phone just being honest that i i have a problem i can't i'm working on not looking at my phone when i'm driving it's like i'm so addicted to checking it and like refreshing my work emails Mm -hmm. you know i think it's worse i I think drunk drunk it's hard to compare drunk driving is obviously horrific but when i was younger and and more dumb than i am now and i had a drink or two after a party and Mm -hmm. i'm driving home my eyes were glued to the road oh yeah you had a sense wide open i have to be responsible drunk driver right now (laughs) i would i I saw things i saw the matrix code i was ready to ready to go and but with your phone your brain, you don't even it's realize true, what's yeah. happening in front of you. We're all guilty of it a little bit, which is why, you know, all I could do at that moment was just yell at the guy. Makes you wonder if modern day truck drivers are are driving their trucks while texting on the on their phone, too. Maybe. I'm giving them like, the benefit of the doubt, especially with a movie like this, as paints, paints truck drivers as pretty nice, insightful people. Hey, lady, just because I drive a truck does not make me a truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about 1980. 81's Road Games. The truck driver plays games. The hitchhiker plays games. Aren't you kind of young to be hitchhiking out here all by yourself? Aren't you kind of old to be picking me up? And a killer is playing the deadliest game of all. He's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know. What's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game properly, we have to know what he thinks of women. Stacy Keach is quid. No, no, it's Q-U-I-D. D is in death, the young girls, you cretin. Jamie Lee Curtis is hitch. What I'm looking for is a little excitement. Across 1,600 miles of desert highway, they're playing games of violence and sudden death. If someone doesn't stop soon, there won't be anyone left alive to play. Road games. So as we heard in the cold open, Justin, you don't have this movie on DVD, correct? I don't. And I don't know if uh, when, when we discovered this movie... 
Was there even a DVD copy available? No, I don't no. think so. I remember, I think we probably saw this movie together at the yeah. same time. On VHS. On VHS. I yeah. think we both, I heard about it, I think, from that exploitation um, documentary, Not, Not Quite, Quite Hollywood. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that when we were in Chicago, I think, because I remember, I think that's how we also discovered Next of Kin. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming out of that with just a whole list of movies we wanted to track down. And a lot of them, including Road Games, was not available on DVD. So I think this, the way we saw it was you got this VHS mm-hmm. tape. Because at Cinema Possessed, we don't pirate movies. We don't go online looking oh, for rips. We're not pirates. We find a v- We find a format of it that's available. Like Laserdisc, VHS, if we don't have it. I bought, uh, I feel like you got me a Laserdisc one t- player for Christmas. Right. And it did open, you know, I'm, uh, it did open up other avenues to watch movies that sometimes can be hard to find mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. one well, format and or another. There was a lot of like cool Criterion releases on Laserdisc that never made it to DVD of stuff like Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction had a Criterion release. A lot of my discs I picked up at Amoeba and a lot of them had laser rot yeah that's the thing about the dvds themselves don't have laser rot that that yeah. we know of at least not yet but um laser discs do it's very quick and and so most laser discs now are unviewable because of of the this thing called laser rot so it seems like this vh the film came out in 81 but this vhs copy it looks like it's from 1987 and it's amazing that that, that was the year that i was born this wow. Mm-hmm. This copy is as old as my flesh and, and it's blood. older than me. Mm-hmm. I was born in eighty eight. So yeah, the fact that that these tapes still work mm-hmm. and don't really have any issue, uh, it's not. I, I've watched it on VHS a couple times, and you informed me that there was a new Blu-ray copy from Scream Factory. Mm-hmm. So that was very exciting. Finally, being able to see a movie that I always liked. Uh, the way that it was supposed to be presented in anamorphic. I think this Blu-ray came out in 2019. There was maybe like an Anchor Bay DVD release that happened in like 2016 maybe, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, for the longest time, this videotape was the only way we could watch road games, and I remember that time of watching it and having a blast with it. I was very excited to snag what you had, so I went to Videotech. They had the Blu-ray, and I watched that way too many times what do you mean once to watch it Uh uh-huh once for the first commentary once again for the second commentary wow it was a lot i have a bad back Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to sit for long periods of time and so one of the ways i motivate myself lately to do my pilates and my physical therapy is i put i watch the movie sitting down focused on the movie and then when I have to rewatch it for audio commentary or bonus features and stuff like that, that's when I will work in my PT. Yeah. And usually I could time out like a 30 minute behind the scenes featurette mm-hmm. to about 30 minutes of PT. And I feel like, wow, that that is multitasking that I can feel good about. Yeah. There are websites that take director's commentaries and they just put them in MP3 form so you can download them and listen mm-hmm. to them like podcasts. What do you think about your packaging, your, your the overall? So the Scream Factory Blu-rays are always good in terms of a movie fan's Blu-ray. They really try to blow these things out. They dig up old featurettes. They dig up storyboards. They dig up sound demos. And then they go and they do interviews and stuff. They're a great, great company when it comes to putting together DVDs, especially for genre films, horror films, thrillers, sci-fi. And they always try to make the packaging something special. So they always hire an artist to come in and do some elaborate packaging it that will go on the slipcase for it which i appreciate which i appreciate and what i really appreciate is that they always 
provide a reversible um, sleeve for the actual Blu-ray itself so that on one side of it is the the new cover that they had uh, commissioned for their new release, but then they always provide you with like the original box art so that whatever your preference, you can flip it. If you want the new thing that they made, great. If you want the original, you can do it. I love that. Which was it when you opened it? The new. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll automatically default to whatever the new thing that they created is. It's it's a hit or miss when it comes to Scream Factory covers. Sometimes they're awesome. They're always sort of in the same style. I don't know if they get the same artist every time. Uh, and sometimes they're a little much. I don't love the Road Games yeah, cover. I love what Scream Factory is doing. I genuinely do. Mm-hmm. So I, But I will say that I want them to keep making original covers. I wish that they would take uh, bigger bigger leaps on more artists because even if they are different artists it feels like it's one they do feel cohesive and yeah. that they always kind of have this it's almost like they're i wouldn't say they're going for like a drew strusen kind of art but they are they're they're always going for like a painted feel yeah what would you appreciate more of if like you know you you follow a, someone on instagram called psycho ducky rubber ducky oh creepy duck creepy duck designs and that's like a type of artist who is usually um, doing kind of like their own version of the Mondo thing where they are inspired by like a theme or a motif mm-hmm. or something from the film. Yeah. And they're not just representing the scenes from yeah. the film. They're finding some sort of a motif they're pl- and creating. Exactly. That. They're playing a fun game where poster games yeah. where they, um, you know, are turning that idea into um, a visual mm-hmm metaphor representation yeah that makes an amazing poster Mm -hmm. do you do you like those on your covers or do you think those are fun to look at or Mm. even fun to hang but you don't necessarily want that on your package that's a good question i think honestly i prefer the package to be just the original me too the original box art because that's the way the movie was marketed when it came out in theaters and that's kind of the way i want it to be represented on my Mm -hmm. blu-rays because i'm like Sometimes it's it's too much of an artist representation. It doesn't represent the movie to me. Yeah, I think I, I think I I don't know if I like slipcovers in general. Yeah, um, I would rather just have the disc on the shelf. Yeah. So I think my preference would be that they still are commissioning original artwork because I care more about employing artists to. Um, to keep doing what they do and they're reviving that style that you were describing of like Indiana Jones, Goonies, all those original uh, posters. Even the the first few Harry Potter movies had that. Uh, mm-hmm. probably was even Drew. It probably was Drew, Drew I think, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a magical quality to that. So, I think they're thinking about collectors too. They're assuming yeah. that some people who buy this Road Games Blu-ray already have Road Games on VHS. They already mm-hmm. have it on DVD. And so they're giving you a different cover art so that it's different in your collection from the other stuff, which again, I appreciate. I mean, my my main problem with this cover is it's like, Jamie Lee Curtis's arm is like too long and skinny. There's like a little bit of proportional stuff that <laughs> that I, I can't escape when I look at it. It's also a comparison thing. The original poster for Road Games is fucking great. It's awesome. It's so provocative. This movie, they talk about it in the special features that they didn't know quite how to market the movie because um, at the time it was big to to market horror films. And this movie definitely has horror elements, but it's not quite a horror film. It's not the it's it's rated PG, which yeah. is a surprise. Mm-hmm. But that's because there's really not a lot of blood and gore at all in I mean, this there's movie. There's a severed head in the movie. 
There is, but it comes at the very end, and it's not quite gory. It's I've, pretty waxy. Looking. Yeah, there's no nudity, but the woman from, um, you know, the 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 first kill yeah. of the movie, mm-hmm. you see side boob, you see it's upper all PG stuff, you see upper butt crack. I mean, in 1981, you could show straight up boob and still have a PG movie. It happened every now and then, as long yeah. as the scene wasn't like overtly too erotic. You know, you could have a character like take their shirt off and get a side boob where you actually saw some nipple and you could still get a PG rating. Yeah, that's the way it should be. But they, the, the cover of this definitely makes it look like a slasher. It has yeah. kind of a giallo mm-hmm. feel to it with the gloves and the un... You know, you can't see the face of the killer and it's a woman's upper body with... Uh, appears to be kind of unzipping her blouse and that the blouse is making like a, a, a road. The lines, the yellow lines on the road are going up. It just... It's yeah. a it's a it's a good looking painting. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Australian genre cinema for a minute. To me, they're always fun. They're not always the best movies, but they're always like really ambitious and they're really stylized and they all have this kind of exuberant Sam Raimi esque energy to them that is like hard to deny. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think some of the most popular Australian genre movies are the Mad Max movies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are aware of George Miller who directed those movies. Mm-hmm. And th- I think all that applies to him. His movies are very energetic. They're very ambitious. You know, a lot of talk has been made about how f- ambitious Fury Road was, but mm-hmm. he's always been doing that ever yeah. since the first Mad Max and certainly the Road Warrior. Yeah. And These they're huge. Movies. They're doing all of those filmmakers uh, from that time including George Miller, mm-hmm. were doing some pretty dangerous things on the road. Yes. Well, that's that's something you get from some of these documentaries mm-hmm. about the making of these movies is that they really were go for broke when they when mm-hmm. they shot a lot of these things. And the stuntmen that came out of Australia were just willing to do whatever mm-hmm. to get the shots is like, how are these people still alive? Well, yeah. The things that they're doing to their bodies is insane. Yeah. And I think a lot of Australian filmmakers were real appreciators of American uh, commercial movies. Mm-hmm. And Richard Franklin talks about how he was a he was a, a an Alfred Hitchcock just obsessive aficionado. Yeah. Well, that that seems to be the whole conversation around in, in that documentary and in a lot of the behind the scenes on road games is like the juxtaposition between the filmmakers like R- Richard Franklin who would idolize American filmmakers yeah. and the greater sort of Australian film commission and culture society sort of being frustrated by this and and feeling like they wanted more authentic Australian films that a film wasn't Australian to them just because it had an Australian filmmaker doing it, Mm -hmm. which I feel that makes it Australian, but that they were importing American actors. They were telling American stories. They were emulating American genre. They were idolizing American filmmakers. And a lot of the critics and uh, society at large were were upset about that because it's like a lot of it is taxpayer money going to pay for this stuff. Yeah. You had the, in the seventies, that's kind of when the Australian new wave happened and you had filmmakers like Peter Weir and Nicholas Roeg who were doing stuff like walkabout and picnic at hanging rock. There were these kind of very serious or at least a little bit more um, prestigious Australian cinema that was making waves. But then you had movies like wake and fright and Mad Max that were grittier and it kind of created this exploitation new wave that came along with it. And that's where people like Richard Franklin came into play. His sites were always on American 
cinema. He was born in Australia, but then he went to film school at USC. He was there with John Carpenter. He was there with George Lucas. He met Alfred Hitchcock while he was there, studied under him a bit. Apparently, he met Steven Spielberg while he was studying under Alfred Hitchcock. And then he came back to Australia once the new wave started to boom. He realized he could get work in Australia easier than he could in, in America, was able to make the movie Patrick, which is very much like a Hitchcock homage, very psycho. Yeah. And then from there was able to do road games. Yeah. And the success of this movie ended up getting him the, the job of directing Psycho 2 yeah. in America. Big honor for him that, you know, went from being kind of a Hitchcock aficionado mm -hmm. and a fan to being trusted to direct the second this, one. The official sequel. And that yeah. movie did well. Mm -hmm. It was critically acclaimed. It was a pretty big hit. It was cool to learn how much of an influence Australian movies and exploitation had on Tarantino and yeah. the reference to, you know, Patrick spitting and Kill Bill. And Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like interesting, um, you know, seeing all the sources of where he's ripping stuff off from. Yeah, it makes sense, too, because Richard Franklin is kind of like De Palma in that way that he's, his obsession with Hitchcock and it, it went on to sort of define his style. When you hear the behind the scenes stuff on this movie, it sounds like they were flying by the seat of their pants and people were doing things for the first time and making bad decisions and wasting a lot of money. But you look at the movie and to me, it feels very professional. Yeah. They talk about how they had to cut all this stuff for the ending. I think the ending of this movie is crazy. And I'm like, this was your plan B? It feel feels a little, just as insane as anything else. I was rolling my eyes a little bit when the second he starts choking Grant Page, everyone from the whole movie starts walking up. And, That's, yeah, that is due yeah, to a he, cut for sure. He did this to me. He did that. <laughs> yeah. It's like cartoon. Yeah. At the time, this was the highest budget Australian film that there had ever been at $1.75 million. Mm -hmm. That was the highest budget an Australian film had ever had. Sean Connery. Henry was was the top pick for quid, but right. he cost two million dollars, which was more than the budget of the movie. So I I'm glad because I think Stacy Keach is perfect for this role, and I don't think Sean Connery. I do too, and I was going to say overall, I'm 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 excited to explore more of Stacy Keach's catalog, yeah. but I think he is a great actor, and it was really. Um, heartful to learn that he was an intelligent actor and a kind actor. Yeah. He was easy to work with. He never put up a fuss, um, never said no to anything, and was just like a good sport and uh, kind to the crew. He's got an everyman quality to mm -hmm. him that it sounds like he is in real life. To imagine Sean Connery as a truck driver is actually a little bit difficult to imagine. He's a knight, whereas Stacy Keach has the energy of a guy who believes he's a knight. You know, he's the knight of the road. But in reality, he's he's he is your dad, you know. When was the first time that you like saw Jamie Lee Curtis as a kid? Do you remember the first movie where you like noticed her? Halloween. Halloween? Yeah. True Lies was my first. I think yeah. I saw it before I saw Halloween. Mm -hmm. And that was that's mm -hmm. a star vehicle. Mm -hmm. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's fun. She, I get the vibe that she is just like a down actor. She comes to set and she wants to have fun. Hearing that she was treated kind of like shit on this movie by the locals and by the crew for simply for being American versus what you get out of the movie where she's very spunky. If she was having a bad time, you can't really tell. It seems like she's having a good time in yeah. this movie. And that's a Jamie Lee quality. You still feel that even today. It's something in like everything, everywhere, all at once. It feels like she's having a good time on set, mm -hmm. having fun. Academy Award winner, Jamie Lee Curtis now. Mm -hmm. Did you watch the Oscars? Nope. But I, I got the highlights. Yeah. I don't care about the Oscars, but I was, I'm always rooting for the underdog. Yeah. And I'm glad everything everywhere all at once swept. They did. Jamie Lee Curtis spoke to me one time. 
like in your dreams or no in real life when we first moved out to los angeles i was uh i was working as a server in culver city at this place called rush street and i got off of work one day and i parked on the street at a meter and i was walking to my car and i was almost there and i uh, i felt this van pull up behind me and i heard this voice yell out you leaving and i turned around and it was jamie lee curtis and um i said yeah uh, let me let me just pull out and I pulled out and she took my spot. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back with Cinema Possessed, and we are joined by a little road racer herself, mm-hmm. Corey Clifford. That's me, breaker, breaker, one, two, is that what they say? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Uh, so, Corey, we watched this movie together. We How did. did you like the film? I had a really fun time. I had never seen this movie before. I'd never heard about this movie before. Was excited. This is my type of genre I love. Mm-hmm. What would you say that the thriller is your favorite genre? I think thriller is my favorite. Well, I mean, romantic comedy, late 80s, early 90s is probably my favorite genre. (laughs) But there's like not as many, right? That's true. I mean, I'm always when like you and me sit down to watch a movie together. I'm always like hit me with the thrillers. Yeah. Um, when it I, comes to a movie that we can both agree on, you yeah. love a thriller. So um, I had a great time. I immediately was like, is this like Joyride? Um, because In a way. Yeah. It has some Joyride well, in it. Well, it's Trucker and mm-hmm. On the Road. Mysterious Killer. Exactly. So that's, I, you know, kind of going in thinking that. I was well, another, another thing, too, is you love Rear Window. Love Rear Window. And one thing we didn't mention is that this script was written by Everett DeRoche. The way this became about was that Richard Franklin gave Everett DeRoche the script for Rear Window, just as like an example of how to write a good screenplay, because they were both young and new at the, at the thing. Everett DeRoche read the Rear Window screenplay and got the idea, Rear Window on the road. Honestly, and, very smart. Yeah. And Richard Franklin was like, go for it, dude. And that's how Road Games was created. And there, you can you can definitely see all the all the parallels of the character and the way the the movie the format of the film and the way the mystery unfolds yeah i love her window it's one of my favorite movies um so yeah and then it like immediately introduces stacy keach who i was like 
babe like he's babe town i recognize him more from him as an older actor for sure Mm -hmm. but when i saw him in this i kind of had the same thought like oh i'm surprised he wasn't in more leading man thriller type movies because he was cool yeah let's talk about that opening so the movie just kind of opens stacy keach he pulls into this motel he's clearly been driving for a long time he's sleepy and he wants to check into the motel but the last room gets taken by a mysterious man in a green van we're also introduced to my favorite character of the movie the dango boswell boswell yeah that's a fun thing because at first you think stacy keach is just talking to himself and then all of a sudden boswell pops up into frame which is a great way to get you to endear to a character that they like are a dog lover that they have like a little friendly companion with them i learned a dingo fun fact that they from this movie that they can't bark which is my ideal Dog. Yeah, maybe you should get a dingo. <laughs> and then is this a rumor because of the, I got, I don't know what movie it's in, Meryl Streep movie, a dingo ate my baby. No, it's not. I don't think it's a movie. It's a real thing. It is a movie. It is in a movie. What's Isn't movie? it in it's Sophie's based Choice? It's the real, it's not so <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, Meryl Streep. Which baby should I feed to the dingo? <laughs> a Cry in the Dark, 1988, directed by Fred Shapisi. Starring Meryl Streep, a mother whose child was killed in a dingo attack in the Australian outback fights to prove her innocence when she is accused of murder. Ew. Oh, so maybe that's that it is. Then maybe the dingo did eat the baby. Well, please, we gotta put, watch. please put in a clip right here of, of Meryl Streep going, a dingo ate my baby. A dingo took my baby. Or just the clip of Elaine and Seinfeld going, maybe the dingo ate your baby. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Um, we should watch that film on Patreon. What's it called again? A Cry in the Dark. A Cry in the Dark, all also right. Also with Sam Neill. Maybe, hey, perfect Patreon film. We've never seen it. We talk about it on the pod. We throw it on the Patreon. Um, the Boswell is played by a, a dog named Killer. <laughs> Who would ever name their dog Killer? And the and Stacy Keach loved that his name was Killer because the dog was the nicest dog Aww. ever. It was so docile and sweet. Apparently, it did have a little bit of dingo in it, but it was mostly an Australian red. My The entire time, Justin, while we were watching this movie... I was so concerned about the dog. Like, I kind of couldn't think about anything else. Every time a scary situation happened, because later in the movie, it, they're brought up about how dingoes can get shot. Like, um, there's like a hit. The, you there's, can, you're allowed to kill You're allowed dingoes. to shoot. You're actually encouraged to. Yeah. And I was like, I looked at Jack and I was like, you have to tell me right now, does this dog die in this movie? Like, I need to she know. Was and very he was very stressed like, out about the idea. He's like, no. Did he remember? He told me no oh, yeah. at the okay. beginning of the movie because I was like, I, I don't know if I, I need to be mentally prepared if Boswell's right. getting killed. But spoiler alert, he does not get killed. Uh, there's a funny kind of back and forth that Stacy Keach has with his CB uh, advisor. Where- Is this the first time where we get the line that Justin said? The... I'm going to mm-hmm. be a truck driver. Yeah. 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 She's like, you can, I need, we need you to do another job. And he's like, I got to get some sleep. And she says, don't you truck drivers take pills for that kind of thing? And he says, lady, I may drive a truck, but I'm not a truck driver. Which, by the way, you can get those pills at gas stations. Mm-hmm. There's different ones, essentially caffeine pills. And I took a yellow jackets with my friend Katie in high school, senior year. We were like, let's see what these yellow jackets do. And we'll like stay up all night. It'll be awesome. We like went to a party. They were the most, I've done like other drugs and these are maybe the most intense thing I've ever done in my life was like cracked out, physically remember laying in my friend Katie's bed, holding my eyes shut. They just (laughs) kept coming open and she couldn't sleep at all either. And we stayed up the entire night and then drove to Sonic right when it opened up. 
5 a.m., 6 a.m. and just got breakfast burritos. And we're like, I guess this is what we're doing. And we were up for 48 hours. Another missed opportunity for the pod for us to all drop yellow jackets. <laughs> we would be talking like this. We'd be like. Let's see how many episodes we yeah. can record. <laughs> it is funny, though, because it's like by doing I get why they're doing that line mm-hmm. but it's you know if i was a truck driver i would be like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> he said that richard franklin said that he did a bunch of research when they were writing the script and he went and interviewed a bunch of actual australian truck drivers and he said the common thing between them all is they all were so self-deprecating they all thought they were scum they were like why do you want to make movies about us everybody thinks we're scum and so he was like i wanted to acknowledge that in some way because it was such a universal thing but I wanted to write a character that was like an enlightened version of that, that really thought of himself as like smarter, better, more kingly than everybody else. I fell into a TikTok hole recently of there's um, like women truck drivers and like uh, women truck drivers really trying to get other women to become truck drivers, being like, this is actually such an awesome job. And you like get to be out on your own. You can have your animal, like all of this stuff, because you make a lot of money as a truck driver. I'd do it. I could, I mean, when I, there's this one girl, I wish I could remember her name, but specifically, like, she's like a young, cute girl. She was like, it's awesome. I have my bed in here. I travel the country. I only have to work half the year, blah, blah, blah. You make so much money. And she's like showing like, this is the way to do it safe. I could do it if I didn't have such a bony ass. Yeah, you can't, could not do it. Even on like a three hour road trip, I have to bring an extra pillow to sit on because I just have such little meat on my ass. You got to get on some squats. That's sitting for such a long period of time causes sciatica. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll, I'll injure my tailbone from sitting on a fucking I seat I wonder if they have a standing desk version of a truck where you can, you know, like <laughs> mm. press a button and stand and drive. And they have, I mean, I guess that would probably change the laws of driving <laughs> a little bit. It, does, um, it does say on Indeed.com that the average salary for a truck driver is 82000 with a high of 130000 That's good. I mean, awesome. yeah, that's yeah. a good that's a good job. You just have to be, you know, you're isolated. I'd get a hemorrhoid for that. <laughs> for sure. I mean, you find <laughs> And what a dream to have like a, a dog you get with hemorrhoids you too. from sitting down for too long? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Oh. They say. So then in this scene, uh, he sees the sort of villain of the movie. He calls him Mr. Smith or Mr. Johnson, something like that. Mm-hmm. We'll just call him Mr. Smith. He sees Mr. Smith. He's driving a green van. He he checks into this room and we see that he's got a hitchhiker with him, a young girl, and uh, he's kind of jealous. And this kind of starts a thing with Stacey Keach where he's, throughout this movie, he is almost a little bit in competition with this guy. He's he Right away, he's like, oh, so he got the girl. Like, we could have had her, but he got her. First, he steals my girl and he takes my bed. Okay, buddy. <clears throat> It's you and me, pal. Now listen. No snoring and no evil smells. I hope she steals his wallet. I bet she doesn't even wait to take her socks off. And then it does a fun thing where it like cuts to Mm -hmm. her socks and her feet and it pans up and she's sitting on the bed in the motel room, naked, playing a guitar. Very Forrest Gump. Yeah, it is a little bit like that scene in Forrest Gump where Jenny plays guitar naked for all those drunks. This motel scene is really cool. This is where the movie feels like a giallo. It's like cutting between 
her naked playing guitar in this sort of like darkly lit room. And then it cuts to the bathroom where Mr. Smith is preparing for his kill. And he's putting on his gloves and he's getting his uh, guitar string wire ready. And the bathroom is like the complete opposite of the hotel room. It's like blinding, pure white. It's very sterile. This DP's name is Vincent Monton, by the way. And it's so cool when the door opens to the bathroom and you finally get to see like the silhouette of the killer and it's like foggy. It almost looks like they shot it with like a star filter or something. The director commentary, they say that he had, it was like pulling teeth trying to get the DP to blast that, the light in, in the bathroom. He wanted he to wanted overexpose it. it, it yeah. Overexpose. And then in the other commentary with the DP, they tell him that and he was like, what? Okay. He was like, no, I didn't push back on that. Yeah. Did you notice in that commentary <laughs> that the DP is always has a different version of everybody else's story and also doesn't remember things very well. Yeah, I noticed that. He, he seemed he, like an unreliable narrator. There was tons of times when the other people on that commentary track were like, no, you're wrong. Um, so the killer is standing behind her in the bathroom and as he's walking towards her, she starts tuning the guitar. And so it's like, the it's basically music. <laughs> It's really cool. I thought uh, that was great. That mm -hmm. was like a fun diegetic way to build tension, literal tension. Yeah, this this is the scene where you're sort of like, okay, we got we're in the hands of like an actual filmmaker here who's mm -hmm. got some fun ideas. Mm -hmm. Remember when Corey was learning to play guitar and she was trying to play Sweet Home Alabama and she mm. kept going like, sweet, sweet, <laughs> sweet home <laughs> Alabama. Because <laughs> the, the girl in this scene is playing like shit. She clearly mm -hmm. doesn't know how to play Are you the trying guitar. to say I was playing like shit? No, but I thought it would be funny <laughs> if she was trying to learn a song in the scene, yeah. if, it, if it was a reality of her actually trying to play something. Also, to the the killer that they... Um, Mr. Smith. Set up here, yeah. That's played by Grant Page, who's a famous Australian stuntman. Yeah, and he and was the stunt coordinator stunt, for this. Stunt coordinator for And this. for the Mad Max movies as mm -hmm. well. I was going to ask you what you thought of him as a villain, because I think the the legend of this actor and this stuntman and mm -hmm. his ability is incredible. Yeah. But his role in this movie was not that like intimidating. Well, he didn't really show his face barely ever. I almost wish they would have masked his face a little bit more. You see it right away in this in the Quid's POV. He turns and looks that's, and makes eye contact yeah. with Quid. You can guess that that's the point where he's grabbing Quid's name from the truck yep. and using it mm. in the, yeah, the guest book. That's interesting because that is actually what I was thinking during the movie, I was like, how the hell did he get his name? But that's It's written on it. the side of his truck. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. There's a lot of fun parallels to this. I think the movie is very smart in its construction in a way that a lot of Hitchcock movies are. But, you know, he's... There, by the end of this movie, Corey was thinking that this whole thing was going to be like a bait and switch. I did. I was like, suddenly when he's like the end chasing him through the alleyways, I suddenly was like, oh my God, is he the killer the whole time? And I think it's purposeful, honestly. I don't know. I don't, I don't, my perspective as the filmmaker is just trying to show you that the world thinks that he is blaming him, but we know that he's innocent. But I think he maybe is trying to make us think it too. Maybe. He, he's definitely drawn 
drawing. But he's so charming. He is so charming. He is so charming, and that's why I was like, that's oh, why it would no, be... is this going to be a crazy bait and switch? I don't think it because... would have been necessarily a bad way to go. It would have been a kind of a fun... But we know, we see his POV, and we see that the girl goes with him. We see her getting killed by not quid. True. But there are, I think, some connections between Stacey Keach and the, the killer. Both are in green. Both have guitars. Mm. Stacey Keach is, does have that sort of like, I should have gotten her stuff with the with the hitchhiker. I think Corey's thought of thinking maybe he is the killer is warranted. So then the credits roll eight minutes into the film. Franklin talked about how he and Everett DeRoche just like, because they were so new, they didn't really know three-act structure. They didn't really know how scripts were written. And so they just wrote a 10-page scene to open the movie, not really knowing that that's like not the most normal way of doing it but i think it's great honestly i think all screenwriting rules are made to be broken to me they're always usually more of a guide to get you to finish the script rather than making the movie any better i think more often than not when people deviate from three-act structures and screenwriting rules like that this the movies are more interesting and more Mm -hmm. honestly told that's how we got pulp fiction exactly and i think this this opening 10 minute thing is great you pulls you in, sets you up the mystery. You get your character. You get everything you would want from a sequence. The the score comes in, which is a Brian May score. They do a funny thing too, where then a harmonica comes in, and then it cuts to Quid, and he's playing the harmonica, <laughs> and it's sort of implying that like he's the one doing the the melody of the harmonica here. They said in the commentary that they felt like Williams uh, ripped off this composer for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, it does have a very Raiders-y feel that that. Dun, 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 dun. I like that most of the score of this movie is kind of an adventure score as opposed to like a, a horror thriller score. Yeah. So then we get on the road with, with Quid and he starts seeing, this is where the rear window stuff comes out where he starts applying characteristics to all the people who on the road who he keeps seeing. So he sees like this family car with this woman who's clearly kind of nagging the husband and the kids in the back are like they have kiss makeup on and they're going crazy and so he kind of creates this whole little frugal family dynamic all just in his head talking to boswell as he's driving Mm -hmm. he sees a guy with a bunch of balls in his car now there's a man with balls hilarious this is good um he sees a motorcycler this guy who's all dressed in red on a red motorcycle who sneezes while he's driving and therefore stacy keach calls him sneezy rider (laughs) All of these are characters that are set up that you will see continuously throughout the movie. And that guy is Patrick from his first Yeah, played by the same actor who played Patrick. He sees a a couple who are just married. Mm -hmm. And then he sees this guy who I think he calls him like Captain Careful or something, Mm -hmm. towing this huge boat. And he's driving very slowly and very carefully, but almost like stubbornly too. Like if you want to- He's a jackass. If you want to pass him, he like won't let you pass him. He's kind of just this oblivious dude. And then he sees- Hitch Jamie Lee Curtis, but he does not pick her up. You don't see Jamie Lee Curtis's face until like 30 minutes into the movie. Right. Yeah. She's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. There's a few MacGuffins in this movie. He sees the killer again on the road in the green van and he notices this lunchbox, this like ice chest that the killer is carrying with him. And sort of simultaneously, he's hearing radio news reports about a a Jack the Ripper-esque killer on the loose. They're finding parts of women's bodies all over the Australian countryside and he starts to get into his mind that maybe this is him and this lunchbox that he's carrying kind of becomes the MacGuffin of the movie where he's fixated on 
finding out what's inside of that lunchbox. All the truck interiors were shot with rear projection. I thought that was an interesting thing I learned from the commentary. It's funny to me, the rear projection in this movie looks better than half the shit on TV. Today. It looks incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just a testament to shooting on film. You know, it covers up a lot of that stuff. We we have two, our cameras are too high quality now. You can just, it exposes when you do rear projection and things like that. But also they were just better. At, I mean, it's, it's one of those things kind of like matte paintings. There are n no more matte painters anymore. People who actually know how to do it people who are it's their profession you know is nowadays if you get a matte painting done you're do, it's being done by somebody who's maybe doing it for the first time rear projection is still around and people still do it but i guarantee you back then it wasn't hard to find somebody who was top-notch a plus good at doing rear projection yeah they had and they had a dedicate they hired a dedicated they did it right they hired somebody who mm -hmm. just did rear projection in australia yeah and then he ends up picking up the woman who he saw in the car earlier with the family. And then they play car games. Playing some road games. And I um, really related to Stacey Keach getting annoyed that she was so bad at the game and like wouldn't play it right. And he was getting really mad. And I was like, I get it. Be like when you're doing like a 20 questions type game, you don't just guess, is it the fly? Is it the dog? That's is true. it the thing? It's like, That's no, true. you ask questions. I think it's interesting that he explains that Bosco is better than a dog. He calls dogs parasites. He says he's an aristocrat like me. Yeah. Quid, he considers himself like a domesticated dingo. He is technically a <laughs> trucker, but he considers himself better than other truckers and like more enlightened than other truckers, the same way that Boswell is more enlightened than other dingoes. Yeah, but you make it sound pretentious. He never. I think I he is pretentious. I don't, but I don't, he doesn't put down other people other than that line. True, but the, I think the line The line is where he makes it clear he thinks like mm -hmm. this, but. You're just you're adding because he does poetry. Yeah, because he all doesn't come across as pretentious. He, he doesn't seem like a jerk in that sense. Um, Justin, quick question, and Jack might cut this out because he was afraid that it wasn't nice. But I think it's nice because I think Stacey Keach is a babe in this movie. When you watched it, Ryan Stanger. Thank you. Oh wow. my God, Justin. 100%. Yes, I love you. The second he comes on screen, I was like. This looks just like Stanger. And the more the movie went on, I was like, this is a Ryan Stanger perfect character. A manly man who's funny, who dresses well, has, I think it's the really strong jaw. Mm -hmm. But wow, I feel vindicated. 100%. Thank you, my friend. And it's a compliment. It is a compliment. To both I agree. Stacey Keach and Ryan Stanger. Yes. I agree. Ryan Stanger. He would be perfect in a part like this. Perfect. Oh. Tarantino said if he could do road games... Who would he cast to play the driver? Hmm. A modern day or modern day, older, yeah. modern day actor? Well, Has he worked with them before? Yes. Kurt Russell? No. Bruce Willis? Yes. Aha! Wow. Yeah. I feel more I Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell would be is better. a better choice. Yeah. But I'm also, that's Big Trouble Little China. Yeah. Um, the game they're playing is Animal, Vegetable, or Mineral. Had y'all ever heard of that game? No, but it felt like mm. a version of 20 Questions. Apparently it was a TV show back in the 50s. Oh. And, oh, Justin, uh, did you pick up on the vegetarian themes of this film? I wrote this down too. Talk more. He feeds Bos Boswell a hot dog. Mm-hmm. But when it's time for him to eat, he pulls out a big old celery stick. Mm -hmm. And later on, he eats a carrot. Mm -hmm. In this scene, when they're playing animal, vegetable, or mineral, she says animal, and he's guessing, and he's guessing, and he can't get it, and she says, your shoes. And he goes, ah, mm -hmm. but this yeah. is faux leather. Mm -hmm. This is not animal. This is mineral. When you compare it to like something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the which is also hit. about- The themes hit. I wrote the same thing down. Mm -hmm. Also about meat. He's transporting meat. 
There's I, a strike on it. Mm-hmm. He's kind of grossed out by it. And I think the character of Quid, again, being enlightened, he, I think, is representing a vegetarian perspective. I love that perspective. line. I was, that, I was surprised to see that in this movie at this time period. The faux leather line? Yeah. It's also an aspect of vegetarianism or veganism that, like, often gets overlooked like most people are just focused on the food and and eating but don't think about like the leather belt or the leather wallet or Mm -hmm. all that stuff and so for him to make mention of that i think is is very interesting it's pretty pretentious if you ask me (laughs) (laughs) i love this moment this is the kind of shit i love in movies too is when you set up that characters are doing something and so in this scene they're playing animal vegetable or mineral and then as they do it it has like a twist reveal. I'll give you a clue. It's bigger than a bread box. Me? No. Boswell? No. Well, it's got to be you. Wrong. Lady, if there's an animal bigger than a bread box inside this truck, you better tell me about it. I never said it was inside the truck. The pigs? No. Kangaroo? No. An emu? No. Well, the Nullarbor nymph. Lawrence of a friggin' rabia. I don't know, this is crazy. You give up? Yeah, I guess so. Was that man back there? And then all of a sudden, boom, you see the shovel hit the frame, and it's this reveal that the killer is out there digging a hole. Immediately, he slams the brakes. Just a fun, great moment. Yeah. And now he's really putting the pieces together that this guy could be the killer, and that's when he does the quote. Cast to the wind, thy ghastly sin. Pardon? That's it. And the ghastly sin is dissipated, erased from existence. Now, another thing. A body wouldn't last half a day out here with all the birds and the insects. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about sex. I am talking talking about about sex. (laughs) Stolen from a girl in the back of a van or a hotel room. Guilt. It's eating him up inside. (laughs) It is a little bit ridiculous. I love it. it. So then he goes to this bar, and it's this really seedy bar that has this insane, brutal mural painted all over it that's like depicting the colonialism of like the aboriginal people in australia mm-hmm. it's very violent and i think it's probably just trying to paint a picture that this is a scary area you know like i think it's probably the same as if in an american movie if you had him go into a, a bar and there was like confederate flags and kkk imagery painted on the things i think it's supposed to make you feel like ooh, he's in a bad place but also i don't know maybe that's just like they were trying to realistically depict this area of the outback, and maybe that's what... I think it was all of those things. I mean, it is horrifying imagery. Um, but I think it did make me feel like these are not people to be trusted. Yeah. This is also the scene, too, where they reveal that, like, we kill dingoes around here, and mm-hmm. you got one. I wish the movie... Because obviously they made a big choice to do that because that's a set. They, they The exterior is real, but they built uh, that whole bar from scratch. And so he made a decision to paint that on the walls and i would have loved to kind of see okay what how else can he how does it play into how does the theme mm-hmm. mm-hmm. how can he i do feel like when you when you draw attention to stuff like that it makes the whole land feel sort of haunted to me you know it reminds you that like on in this area there was this like horrific trauma that happened eventually he starts to hallucinate later on in this movie and he starts to go a little 
wild and you could maybe play it tie into like it's the the spirit of this land because this horrible thing was done on it is kind of like haunted territory it's almost like a bermuda triangle kind of thing Mm -hmm. as you drive through it you're gonna go crazy and this is the place where a killer comes to drop off bodies because it's it's already blood has been spilled on this i don't know yeah it's just such a you know it's a part of australian history it's a part of american history it's a part of uh, a lot Mm -hmm. of like colonial history and i think uh, that's an important subject for filmmakers and artists to tackle. So I think... I think it was an interesting way to do it, though, where it was like, it, it did set up a new, scarier tone to the movie. Like, this is when the movie got actually scary to me, was starting at this scene throughout the rest. I see uh, in a lot of Australian films, they're not afraid to show the, the dark side of Australia. Yeah. Stuff like Mad Max has plenty of that. Wake and Fright. I mean, Wake and Fright is all about just somebody having the worst time in Australia, (laughs) just experiencing the scariest shit. And I think this is trying to do the same thing. He's an outsider. He's an American. Excuse me. uh, Have any of you fellas seen a guy in a dark green van? I'm sorry. um... No, no, I was talking about a guy in a green... D, D as in death to young girls, you cretin. <laughs> Overall, I think the dialogue in this movie is really good. Yeah. I want to use cretin in sentences more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he calls people salacious vermin at one mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Sassy. I love it. <laughs> so he comes back out of the bar and he realizes that Boswell has been attacked by somebody. His head is bleeding and he looks down the road and he sees the green van. And this is where we get like the first full-fledged chase sequence in mm-hmm. the movie, which is really good. He's chasing after the green van, but of course, Captain Careful, the guy towing the boat, gets trapped in the middle of it. Fucking hated this guy. I was glad he got everything that came to him. He actually asked George Miller for help to shoot this sequence. Right, and he couldn't make it. He was he agreed to do it. He couldn't make it, but then he told him, "Just watch Ben Hur and copy that." <laughs> and he did. Like yeah. you see the shots of the the wheel ripping into the boat, just like Ben Hur. He points out in the commentary that the speed is different shot per shot, and there's a lot of shots where the cars are very clearly going like maybe forty miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But the way it's cut and the way the, the the compositions, you don't notice it in the grand scheme of the chase. It feels like a very high-speed chase. This is very obviously a storyboarded movie. Some people love that. Mm-hmm. Some people hate when a movie feels storyboarded. Spielberg's movies, Hitchcock, all mm-hmm. that, all that feels Shyamalan. Shyamalan. What do you think? Do you do you like you you can tell the difference between a movie that's storyboarded and a movie mm-hmm. that's not? Do you do you love that? Yeah, it kind of depends on the it depends on the story being told, but yeah, for the most part, I do love it. I, I feel think like that, you guys are storyboard directors. Yeah, I, th- I think so. it it falls in line with what I like in in movies. I like to know that I'm in the hands of somebody with a vision, mm-hmm. and so what you get out of a storyboarded film that you don't get out of a movie that feels more fluid and run and gun is that feeling like you're in good hands. Yeah. Sometimes when a movie is a little r- rough around the edges. That can result in really great, powerful stuff, but you kind of—it's kind of got to grow on you a little bit, you yeah. know. And I think part of my problem with television 
in general is that a lot of television is just like pop the cameras up and shoot the scene and move on. And you don't get that feel of being in the hands of somebody who is like executing a specific vision. And when I can feel that a thing is just kind of being covered, you know, they just covered the scene. I just kind of get disinterested. Whereas something like this, where every shot feels intentional and every shot feels pre-planned, I'm like, all right, take me there. Show me, show me your vision, dog. Yeah, I love it. So then he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis. This is about 45 minutes into the movie. This is our first time we actually get to see her face. It's been introduced a little bit that Quid has a weird thing about marriage. Because when he sees the family, he's like, locked himself up into this situation, buddy. And he says something like, that's why I'm a loner on the road. It goes into his personality, why he would be a truck driver. He's not interested in relationships. Once he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, I think you get even more of that. I hesitate because I do think he's a likable character, and I know you guys do too, but I do think he has some misogynistic qualities about him that are interesting to me in the context of the film. Go on. When he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, he calls her Hitch. And she says, my name is Sally. She tells him her real name and he goes, ah, you're Hitch. And once he starts telling her about the killer, she starts saying, well, what is his relationship with women? And he's like, I don't want to think about that. He doesn't want to talk about his relationship. And she's like, well, don't you think we should psychoanalyze him a little bit if we, we need to find out what this guy has against women? And Stacey Keach is like, I don't even want to know why. I just want to know what's in that lunchbox. All right, now, let's assume that there is a method to his madness, that everything he does is for a logical purpose, right? Okay. Okay, now he's just killed a girl. Did he make love to her first? I don't know, what's the difference? It makes a lot of difference. I think in order to play the game properly, we have to know what he thinks of women. It's my game. Okay, Sherlock. It's the method we're interested in. I don't think it's so important what he does. It's. Why? I mean, what does he think of women? You're kidding. No. I mean, wouldn't you like to know what he's thinking? You know, get inside his head? <sighs> I'd like to get inside his friggin' lunchbox. I'll tell you what he thinks of women. He despises them. He thinks they're pigs. But he's... why? <sighs> you know what I think? Hmm. I think you have much more fun sitting up here with your stereo and your air conditioning and your dingo. I don't think you want to know. <laughs> Which, again, I think plays into... This idea that maybe he could be the killer because he's not interested in psychoanalyzing the killer because mm -hmm. maybe he could psychoanalyze himself. Obviously, the movie doesn't go there. So it's moot to, to try to argue it too much. But I mean, I think that's like a diving deeper into the themes of the movie. Like, I see what you're saying for sure. But why else is he not interested in talking about it? Because he doesn't think it matters. Yeah, I don't think but he thinks it matters. why doesn't he think it matters? Because he, because to me, when Jamie Lee Curtis first gets in the car, it's like interesting to me that this does go to like kind of a romantic way mm -hmm. because, and that's like a whole nother thing in itself. Yep, there's but, more to it there. But she feels like a kid. So it's like calling her hitch. Like there's like, there wasn't, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. And she does say like, don't call me that. So on me, I guess. But there's like a cuteness. There's like a, the, by him calling her hitch, it creates a sweetness between them right away. And like, a, it made me feel comfortable with them together alone in this truck and not like, uh oh, this can be creepy. Yeah. Also, they're obviously inspired by Humphrey Bogart and Bacall mm -hmm. and the sort of chemistry between mm -hmm. that. So that feels like a very bogey thing to do. And also, he's just 
jerking off to his mentor Hitchcock and referencing Hitchcock in the name. Yeah. So he's like, oh, that's cool. Very She's true. hitchhiking and it's Hitchcock. <laughs> and to tie into that, if you consider the, um, the Jimmy Stewart character in Rear Window, Jimmy Stewart is this loner photographer who is also anti-marriage because the whole like romantic situation in that movie is that she's constantly being like when are we going to get married and he's like i don't want to talk about that because he also doesn't want to get locked down amen <laughs> coming from the man who was with me for 15 years before we got married yeah but i locked it down i put a ring on it let me ask you an honest question mm-hmm if we got a Ouija board and summoned the spirit of Alfred Hitchcock yes. and we said, Hitch, what do you think about road games? Mm-hmm. Do you like that it's homaging your movie Rear Window? Mm. Do you think he would respect that? Like, yeah, he saw my movie. He really liked it. Knowing he Hitchcock's- borrowed every single element from my movie and put it into a truck in the outback. Or do you think he would say that's he stole my idea? I think knowing Hitchcock, he would probably internally be proud of the fact that it happened, but he would probably be like, he couldn't come up with something more original. Mm-hmm. He had to rip off the master. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And did a poor job of it at that. Yeah. He did a always, he was always very forward and very honest with how much he respected and was homaging Hitchcock. He's mm-hmm. not he's not oh, yeah. denying he's not hiding it at all. That it's real. They even window. got the rights to it. Did you yeah. hear that? When he wrote Road Games, he said it was so close to Rear Window that they actually went and just got the rights to remake it. Mm. Just in case. Which is the best way to steal. Get the rights. And this is a question for you. Comparing it to the way De Palma homages Hitchcock. For better or for worse, I'm not saying what do you like better. What is, which is a more truer homage to Hitchcock? This movie, Road Games, versus something like Body Double. Both are very much taking from Hitchcock and doing I've their own spin I thought of Body Double it. a lot in this movie, too. It's funny that you say that. I thought a lot of De Palma in this movie. Yeah. De Palma thrillers, to me, always feel like somebody who watched, respected, studied Hitchcock, but is really thinking hard to do something else and do their own thing, and thus creating a whole other style that's uniquely their own yeah and this to me feels hitchcock Mm -hmm. feels in the in the world it's not as good as rear window and it's uh not entirely the director's fault i think it's very clear that he's he's talented Mm -hmm. it's Uh, an early film this is only his second major film yeah again it's just i have a problem if you came up to me and said "Ooh, what if we took rear window and put it in a truck i would say cool can we put it in a truck and do something different like i would always want us to challenge ourselves to um to acknowledge where a source of inspiration came from, but actively try to do something different. And, you know, again, I appreciate this movie. I like it. I'm not ragging on it. But, um, you know, I think Tarantino is also another part of this conversation, too, where it's like, I don't feel that Tarantino is looking at one filmmaker like Hitchcock and ripping them off throughout their entire career. I feel like Tarantino is doing his own thing, but he also is doing what Richard Franklin does, but for individual moments and characters and ideas. And he's he's throwing in a lot more into the soup. Yes. yes. He's not just throwing in a bunch of Hitchcock references. He's throwing in a million different references right. from a million different filmmakers into right. one thing. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think Road Games, It's not. I'm not saying it's better than any De Palma stuff, but I think Road Games is more authentically Hitchcock 
for the same reasons that you just said, because he's actively mimicking, parodying Hitchcock in a way. Whereas De Palma is taking the ideas of Hitchcock and then totally injecting them with his own fetishes and his own weird Freudian stuff and his thirst for gore. It's like dirty, bloody, twisted. This movie is not that twisted. It dabbles in it a little bit, but you can tell he's not a freak like De Palma. He's not a pervert yeah. like De Palma is. And that's what sets De Palma's movies apart. Yeah, well, it's also too, when you... When you look at Patrick as well, mm -hmm. and that's Hitchcock, and you mm -hmm. look at Psycho 2, and that's, that's Hitchcock. Hitchcock, it's like, It's his whole on, career. Get, yeah. Have you ever seen the FX movies? FX? Yeah. It's like an action. There's two of them, FX and FX2. I forget the actor's name, Brian something. He plays Rolly Tyler. He's an effects man, like, for the movies, who gets, like asked to help them solve a case, and so he's almost like MacGyver style, uses his special effects expertise to like catch criminals and and become like an action star. And they it was a successful enough first movie that they did a sequel to it. And Richard Franklin did the sequel. They're a fun uh, series. We should watch both of them. Oh, wait, no. Uh, FX is looking really familiar. Yeah. Brian, he used to play on TV a little bit. Brian Brown. Brian Brown, yeah. that's what it is, yeah. Brian Brown is, the, um, is in a, a Cocktail. Mm -hmm. He's the other yeah. bartender in Cocktail. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, let's watch those for the Patreon too. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, we're filling up our Patreons with this. They end up having this like layover in this abandoned town. He tells the story that the town was abandoned because there was like a plague of rabbits that came in and ate all the vegetation and it caused everybody to have to like mm -hmm. jump ship. And yeah. so now this this area is just this sort of like desolate. And they unleashed a bunch of cats on- To try to kill the rabbits. rabbits. Yeah. Which is a true story. <laughs> it was actually, and, and it's the place where they shot it. It is actually the true story of that area. Oh, I think also too, speaking of the DP who couldn't remember anything, Stacy <laughs> Keach tells a story too about a plague of caterpillars mm -hmm. that uh, descended upon the set. And he said when the cars would drive down the roads, they would be skidding everywhere. And the DP was like, what? That didn't happen. <laughs> he he must have been on acid. Uh, yeah, I also hate, it's like, just let Stacey Keach have the story for the commentary. Because I hate when people do that. Where it's like, that's not true. That didn't happen. And you're like, well. Jack does that a lot. He does it a lot. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> yes, yes, you, you do. do. <laughs> You, when someone is telling a story and one detail uh -huh, is off, uh -huh. you correct them and then take over the uh -huh, story. One hundred percent. You don't let the Noted. other person uh -uh. have fun. Uh -uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back to the fucking podcast. <laughs> Sorry. It's just a little bit of a mirror You're reflecting back at you. You're catching the personal drama, the You'll real pay life. For that later. Yeah, the tell-all book of Jack this and Justin. This will help people have a parasocial relationship with mm -hmm. us. The, the, are you team Corey and Justin? Or team <laughs> Jack. Also, you guys are on your own team. It's not three yes, teams, Hell of yeah. course. Always. <laughs> it's been like this since day one. <laughs> uh, so then they go to another truck stop. They see the van there. there. This is a cool like tension sequence where the the guy with the balls in his car is there, and his car alarm is going off, and they can't figure out how to turn it off. So all through the sequence, there's this like whirring. <laughs> They see the van sitting there, and before they check the van, they just decide that the killer is in the bathroom taking a shit. Kind of caught you with your pants down, didn't we, you slimy son of a bitch? You know, butchering young girls is one thing, but when you hurt my animal, you made a big mistake, pal. What's the matter, cat got your tongue, you miserable stink? 
And outside of the bathrooms, there's these Flintstones drawings that are signifying the men's and women's. Here's our clueless connection. Oh. The, the Barney and the Bettys. It was that yes, was Jack that, was said that, that when we were watching it. But that's Fred and Wilma, technically. I wish it was Barney and Betty, but it's Fred and are Wilma. They, what do you mean? Are they... Barney and Betty are the neighbors. Oh. Betty Rubble and Barney Rubble. Still, it's still the same universe. It's, it's, a, it's universe. in the universe. Yeah. And he even said it when we were yeah, watching it's it. It's the Flintstones. But it's a connection. Yeah. yeah. There we go. We're just trying to find a thread to I all love the it. movies. I love it. And that's a, I don't know what that significance is for this film. Because they said in the commentary that that was production design. Like the yeah. production designer created those and put those in there. Maybe Flintstones was big back then in Australia. And again, I can't tell if this is, they're just trying to accurately represent the way these places looked back then. If maybe they didn't, weren't even aware of meanings. Because once again, you get into, the, once he goes into the bathroom, there is a, there is like a derogatory term written on the bathroom wall that mm-hmm. like we as Americans wouldn't really know. And I won't repeat it just because I think it is considered very bad in Australia for Aboriginal people. But it's written on the bathroom wall back there, really big, significant, and it's almost kind of like doing the same thing as the mural does. It's sort of Mm -hmm. painting this racist portrait of the area that they're in. But in the commentary track, they're just sort of like, they talk about it and they're like, oh shit, I never noticed that. (laughs) Like they don't even really, it didn't seem like there was a significance for it there other than just like if it was real. Yeah, I don't think art department did that. That was already at the location. So yeah, they they see two feet in the stall and Stacey Keach grabs a fan blade. Some folks call it a fan blade. And he's pretty sure that that's Mr. Smith in the dumper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very Hitchcock tension. This was the mm-hmm. scene that I was hiding. Um, like yeah. I had the blanket over my head. I was like, uh, uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. You got legitimately nervous. Because she's like, scene. I'm going to go into the van and see what's up in there. Yeah, so what, because they think he's in there, Jamie Lee Curtis uses this moment to go investigate the van. My girlfriend was like, in what world would you ever crawl into someone's van? Like... You're crawling into the ser- potential serial killer's van. I know. Yeah. I and know. she pays for it because it turns out it. that he's sleeping in there. That was legit scary. Yeah, scared you pretty yeah, well. Yeah, that was a good scare. That was a screamer. And she ends up getting kidnapped. Um, and this is basically the last you see of Jamie Lee Curtis till the very end of the movie. <laughs> yes. This is a funny moment where he, once he realizes that she's kidnapped, he tries to chase her. He grabs Sneezy Rider's <laughs> motorcycle. He oh hops on it God. and in about five feet, <laughs> he, crashes, he crashes the motorcycle. It's a great stunt. I love it. Looks it looks awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's exactly the kind of thing you expect in any other movie, especially an American movie yeah. where the Sean Connery uh-huh. gets on a bike and somehow knows how to drive it mm-hmm. and takes off like a hero yeah. and i love that like he looks like that kind of guy and then he falls in the most embarrassing way yeah. possible and he's like fuck but it's really endearing <laughs> yeah. you're just like god i love this guy i'm following yeah. him anywhere so he starts chasing him and he starts talking to himself in this like cool moment where he's talking out loud like he's been doing in the movie but then voiceover starts coming in of like his thoughts that was all stacy's idea so they originally they went in to do vo just to like record dub lines for the movie and there was all this cut dialogue from this particular scene that stacy keach loved and wanted to include and he yeah he had the idea of like what if we record that as like responses you're getting this combination narration mixed with a dialogue scene happening between a man and his own thoughts and there's that really cool sunset going on behind him which is all rear projection Mm -hmm. but it's very pink and red 
That's also another cool rear projection trick too, where they didn't just like shoot the sunset and then manipulate it in post and mm -hmm. then project it. They put an actual red filter yeah. over the projector. Love it. Looks beautiful. So it's like it's still practical. Yeah. You know. Also in this scene, there's a cool rear projection thing where he's driving behind the green van. He pulls up to it and he honks the horn to get him to look. And you see, it shows the shot where you're you're looking through the back windows of the van and you see the road uh, in front of them that is rear projection. Mm -hmm. And then the the camera dollies to the right to pass the back of the van to the 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 side mirror. And apparently, as they were doing this shot, they had to actually move the rear projection screen with the camera because the screen wasn't big enough. But you would never really be able to tell watching the scene. It looks perfect. I watched it a couple times after hearing that, and I could not catch this the shot move. here. Yeah. Was I rewatched this movie like a year ago before I got this Blu-ray? When I got to this shot, I thought. I can see something's going on in this shot mm -hmm. and I want to know how they did it. Mm -hmm. And so I looked up and I saw, oh, there's this Screen Factory Blu-ray that has commentary on it. I bought it right then and there specifically just to look at this spot here. Wow. And it doesn't disappoint. You get a great story behind it. They explain exactly how they did it and it's awesome. So then he starts to kind of go wackadoo <laughs> and he starts to have these hallucinations and <laughs> there's this hilarious jump scare where... He's driving at night and there's like, it's putting like lines across the road. It's kind of doing a vertigo Hitchcock thing. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this ridiculous bug-eyed doll of a kangaroo <laughs> like flies into frame. How do, how do you even describe this? It's it's almost like- It looks like a Joe Dante thing. You know what it looks, it also looks mm. like a George Miller thing. Mm. Because remember there's that shot in Mad Max right before the guy gets creamed by yeah. Mad Max's his car? Eyes his eyes out. bulge out. Yeah. And then he does it again in the Twilight Zone when John Lithgow looks through the window of the plane and he sees the gremlin, <laughs> his eyes bug out too. It's almost like a weird Australian yeah. thing. Well, that in, in that Twilight Zone movie, there's a Joe Dante segment with a killer bunny rabbit. It, right the cartoon kill, yeah. yeah bunny rabbit yeah it looks just like that it's really funny it does not work at all as a jump scare it's not scary <laughs> no, it's absurd but he says in the commentary that he was like just trying to get a shock scare <laughs> out of the audience and that was like the idea he had yeah maybe. i appreciate it it's stupid so he ends up <laughs> seeing the van parked on the side of the road it's in the middle of the night so he pulls up to the van and starts checking it out the van is empty and he hears two people having sex and he begins to believe and again, this goes back to my point about Stacy Keach having some issues with women. He starts to get jealous in this moment because he thinks that Hitch is having sex with the killer and that he's like, that she's pulling a fast one on him. And he's in competition again. He's jealous. I honestly thought she was worth something. Falls on her back, legs up, ready to give a good whack at the first Tom Dick of friggin' Harry that comes along. Oh, they're all the same. They do it like animals. No offense, pal. Forget it, buddy. She isn't worth a second glance. I think that this is stupid. What? That he would even possibly think that this is what was happening. Right. She crawled into his car. <laughs> she, he, he has every reason to believe this guy's a killer. She is investigating what's going on by crawling into the car. The car disappears. She is for sure in danger and he has an opportunity to possibly interfere and yeah you you might be right you know who has stupid unrealistic ideas jealous men 
they convince themselves yeah. of ridiculous things. I think there is a purposeful, complex emotion going on with Stacey Keach's character where he is in legitimate competition with this killer for female attention. Do you think that's the road games? I think mm. it's one of them, some of the road games. And I think it really helps in the theory that you're supposed to maybe think he is the killer. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I was fully in. I thought there was not going to be a killer. And I think with the addition of this sort of complicated misogynistic stuff in there, I think that there must have been some intention for you to maybe think that. Yeah, I, sure. I just wish that as a you know hero, he would say, you know what? I hear sex noises coming from these woods. I am a jealous guy. I think maybe they're having sex, but you know what? I'm just gonna double check for safety because maybe, just maybe- Oh, you wish he would have seen that it was the married couple and not just walked away thinking it was- Well, yeah, I, I just wish as a hero, he made the choice to be like, you know what? I, my brain is running wild with me right now, but I'm going <laughs> to check to make sure she's okay and that this is actually a consensual situation. Okay, well, you're talking about heroes of the year 2023. This is why I like heroes of the of the latter years because they're complicated, realistic human beings with problems. But they're you, not so perfect. You, you think this is a realistic situation for a person to be in? I think if you think somebody's cheating on you, you will find ways to believe that they are cheating on you. And I think in his mind, Hitch is she likes that guy better than me. I'm not. This is not me making it about a oh, this is toxic. It's not toxic thing. This is me saying as a character, mm -hmm. I think that he is smarter than that to know, you know what, this is, I should still check on her. I could be mad, I could be jealous, but what if this is not a consensual situation? Well, also, what if it's not what I think it is? Also consider that this man is still technically sleep deprived. He's a trucker after all. He's not really gone to bed. Yeah, I feel like this was him going more insane. Like, at, like I was also wondering at this point, are there even, is this all in his head? Yeah, and he's driving through that Bermuda Triangle, the land of th where the blood is in the soil and it's haunted. And in this sequence, Justin, mm -hmm. this is when you get that shot, that close-up of Stacey Keats driving, where you see the little figurine hanging from the rearview window which is like a little aboriginal woman. Yeah, the little tchotchke on the window. It feels to me like it's drawing a parallel to like, he happens to have a figure of the people who were colonized on this land hanging right there in the middle of the sequence in which he's hallucinating and going berserk. Does that not feel like it's kind of implying that there is some haunted energy going on in this place? I don't. I don't get that from from my viewing. But do you do you can you I see where you're coming from. Can you see from? where I'm coming yeah, yeah. from? It's it's what my I'm not really feeling like that's an that's like a conscious choice. Why would you say that they have that being the figurine that's hanging from his mirror? If not to in some way symbolize something for the film. It must symbolize something. I just I'm not really picking up on on uh, the filmmaker saying you know that there's like something. It feels very much focused between cat and mouse, mm -hmm. him and this killer. I don't really feel like the the you know other than just the long stretch of desert and sleep sleeplessness and like it's clear that even legally he was supposed to stop his truck and check in for the night the book of lies you know as they yeah, call it yep. mm -hmm. um he he uh 
is required by law to stop. He can't do this many nights in a row. So I just felt like that was what's adding to this this sort of supernatural stuff you're throwing down. Well, to me, it's it 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 relates to the same stuff as the reason why he's eating celery and why he's wearing faux leather shoes. I think whether subconsciously or not, Richard Franklin wants to draw certain attention to certain things so that we do read a vegetarian reading out of the film, even though it's not getting in the way of the cat and mouse story, but it's there. It's details for us to sort of take in. And I think, why else would he have this insane mural about the colonizing going on? Why else would he have the the figurine hanging well, from they, the mirror? They, Why they, else would there be the the, the they slogan said it was, written on the bathroom they wall? They said he could not explain to them what he was looking for. In the commentary, it said that he specifically asked for something to hang in the window, mm-hmm. but was not able to articulate to them what it was. I would then and, argue that somebody in the art department was having this idea. Yeah, someone in art department found it, presented it to him, and he was like, yes, this is perfect. And you know, whether it's accident or not, I think a lot of significant thematic things happen in movies that are by accident. Totally. And so maybe it wasn't intentional at all, but I love that I can read it. You know, I love mm-hmm. that there's a layer there that I can say, well, this has meaning. Yeah. So we finally make it to the to the final sequence of the film. He lands in there in Perth. The fun fact, this movie was actually shot across Australia. Like every place they go to, they essentially went in the real thing. I think they shot this over 80 days. 80 days? 70. That's a lot. Yeah. And they really did travel all these places. And so it was actually like a road trip filming. So they end up in Perth. He's chasing the killer through the van. The cops end up chasing him. So it's this kind of like string of chases going on. He's chasing the van. The cops Mm -hmm. are chasing him in the truck. And it's the opposite of a chase scene that you know. Again, if it was an American chase movie, if it's the French connection, Mm. it's all about get these vehicles to go as fast as possible. (laughs) The game of this is watching the odometer goes <laughs> lower and lower. It's like they keep yeah. cutting to it and it's like two miles, five miles an hour. Because he keeps turning down hour. like alleyways yeah. and then thinner alleyways and then thinner yeah. alleyways. And there's a funny moment where there's like a guy taking out the trash and his glasses <laughs> fall. He like jumps out of the way and his glasses fall off and he keeps going to pick them up. I thought that was so stupid. <laughs> um, Justin, that thing has happened to me exactly like that. When I was in Atlanta with... Ryan Lagarde shooting Stand Against Evil, mm-hmm. name drop, name drop, name drop. Um, we ran across the street and my glasses fell off my face right in the middle of like a busy road. A car goes by, barely misses it. Another car goes by, barely misses it. Another car goes by, barely misses it. And we're like, okay, finally we can get it. We're like running out to go grab it and then have to jump back because a semi comes down and then runs right over runs and crushes over. In Atlanta? them. Yes. What did, how did you see for the rest of the trip? They were sunglasses. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not as tragic. <laughs> but it was. I had just bought those sunglasses. Mm-hmm. I literally had just bought them. I think it's a funny gag. You think it's going to get run over like three times, and then, of course, it's the fucking cops that run over the glasses. Yeah, because um, cops are pigs. Yeah, they're pigs. They should be in the back of the van. A-cab. Oh, that's that's another thing we forgot to mention is that at one point he he hears this weird sound in his car, and he stops and he looks through the back of his trailer at all the pig carcasses and he realizes that there are actually two extra carcasses <laughs> that was creepy that and was fun there was a chance it's slimy too or it was mm-hmm. warm it was mm-hmm. warm and if he w- if the killer was to put the bodies of two women in the back of his van or his truck it could have happened when he was out investigating the the couple having sex 
because that would have been mm. the time that would have been the time when he would have slipped it in there. Well, and it shows when he drives away that the door is flapped open. And the door is flapped yeah. open. And Boswell yeah. was trying to tell him. That's true. The whole time during that scene, Boswell it's like, keeps Ding. barking. Yeah. And Stacy keeps keeps going like, "Why do you keep barking over there?" In the whole movie, Boswell's always trying to tell Stacy. And Keach. we've also this is the first time we've heard him bark. Because he's not supposed to be able to bark because he's a dingo. Well, he wasn't barking in he that scene. He wasn't barking. He was oh, going he like, yeah. yeah. But he we was, do he hear him bark oh, at the man, end. At it's the a big end. reveal. Okay. It's not not that Jamie Lee Curtis is alive, but <laughs> that it's actually a not, a, not a dingo. <laughs> so yeah, he ends up he chases the 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 killer into an alleyway. Essentially, gets stuck under like a fire escape. Yeah, the cops end up getting stuck underneath his mm-hmm. semi truck. Stacey Keach ends up flooring it. And somehow his entire semi ramps up and lands on top of the killer screen fan. <laughs> right. Again, this is the sequence that the completion bond company told him he couldn't finish. So there's more to this sequence that they didn't even shoot. Which is yeah. insane because it went on a little too long. It's crazy. It's I, like, I'm like, okay, because let's it's, it's get doing him that out of Rube the Goldberg van. thing where it's like, not only are the cops stuck under him and he's stuck under him, but then a cop gets out and climbs under the semi to untangle. So then when everything starts, happening he's being dragged the cop car is getting dragged i think this is fun i like this whole sequence it's fun but sometimes you know that style of cross-cutting between like three or four different pressure cooker things happening at the same time it's got to be right it could just get a little annoying to to cut between four different things like first the the odometer the wheels the cops his face Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. the thing it's stuck on you know it's just like round and round and round Mm -hmm. i don't know and those to me is like i'm not my heart is not racing Sure. I want my heart to race. Considering that he's building a climax out of a sequence that he wasn't able to get everything for, I think they do a pretty good job. Yes. Sure. Again, I think he's a great filmmaker. I think the flaws of the movie are have little to do with him and mostly to do with the unfortunate circumstance he was put in. And so he ends up getting in a tussle with this dude, fighting him in the alleyway and then using the man's own guitar string to start to strangle him. And it's like, is he going to kill this guy? Is he a murderer? Does he have the murderer within him? And also we have, we still have no proof that it is actually him. Right, because he ends up finding, he ends up opening up the guy's lunchbox and all that's in there is a sandwich and apples and a piece of cake. Right. Exactly. So there's not a head in there like he thinks (laughs) it's going to be. The cops end up pulling Stacy Keach off of him. The killer gets up all bloody and starts to walk away. Meanwhile, every person that we've been introduced to, Sneezy Rider, the Frugal family, the Balls guy, the Boat guy, they all are miraculously in town there and they are all hating on Stacy Keach because he's kind of in one way or another fucked all of them over. Yeah. Thankfully, Boswell hops out and barks, notifying them to look into the van where they find Jamie Lee Curtis wrapped up. Yeah, and he says, I can't believe it's not a dingo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you think if you pay for a dingo, you're going to get a dingo. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, yeah, the, the, and Jamie Lee Curtis comes out of the bag and they say, who was the one who kidnapped you? And she yeah. says, that guy, you idiot. And she yeah. points at the killer. Finally. Do they kiss? No. no they they almost kiss. It looks like they're going to kiss. Yeah. Yeah, earlier. They almost kiss earlier in the movie. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't. I don't know why. I just like, I like that it stays. Yeah. Platonic, but she kind of, does. She kind of want it. Does it feel like she wants? Yeah, to Yeah, she has it on? daddy issues. Yeah, she's got daddy issues. Wow, you she's running from her dad, the U.S. <laughs> diplomat projecting much um she's <laughs> probably 23 in this movie he's probably 50 yeah she's running away from her dad is like oh my dad's trying to control me and she's with an older man and wants to get with him that is 
classic yeah at one point he says issues. like aren't you a little young to be hitchhiking she says aren't you a little old to be picking me up and then she says how old are you anyways and he says i'm probably your dad's age and she says my dad's 67 and he goes oh well i'm not that old yeah that was funny <laughs> <laughs> that was funny and then it cross dissolves to a grocery store in which they are chopping up the meat from mm-hmm. quinn's truck and handing it out to to paying customers it's the movie doing its vegetarian theme and we follow through a long tracking shot to the back where we enter into the back of Quid's empty truck trailer. And there's like a woman there cleaning the floor and she's got a little mop bucket beside her. And we push in close on her and then all of a sudden guitar string falls down and tickles her ear. And she tries to bat it away like it's a fly. She notices it, she pulls it down and then bloop, the head of the, what I believe I guess is the first hitchhiker Mm -hmm. comes falling down into the mop bucket our final End scare. Credits. And apparently that ending was added. Annoying that a, another company can come in and make you do something like that. But I thought the scene. Exactly. W- I like it. Works. Yeah. He doesn't, like, he doesn't it. like it. He wishes it wasn't in there. He I wish like it, it just ended on them like walking on the road. Off the sunset. Yeah. I like it better. Yeah. I think it's a better. I think the head could look better. Yeah. It's really like <laughs> waxy looking. But I think the ending itself yeah. conceptually works great. Yeah, it's fun. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with our final thoughts on road games. Game of roads. And we are back with cinema and we are back with cinema possessed and we are doing our final thoughts on road games. Justin Final thoughts. Are you going to keep this tape? Are you going to trash this tape? Are you going to upgrade this tape? What are you going to do? How are you going to watch road games the next time you want to watch road games? I was thinking about upgrading the laser disc. The um, laser disc? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did you think I was serious? I thought you said I was thinking about upgrading the laser disc as oh, if you had one. No, two laser, two laser from discs from VHS to the current highest quality mm-hmm. media, physical media we have. Rotted laser discs. Yeah, for me... This VHS represents uh, two things. The only way I could have watched the movie at the time mm-hmm. and a collector's item. Mm-hmm. Totally. I am now no longer really collecting VHS tapes. I've lost interest in that. No partner of mine ever wants to see these on a shelf, <laughs> uh, which I totally Fair. understand. And um, yeah, so it is sitting collecting dust. It's worth a lot of money. And by a lot of money, I mean like 40, it's going for 40 bucks on eBay. It's so I cool. Saw, I saw a few going for 80. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cover is really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. That could be like yeah. on a shelf in an office. Yeah, this the, honestly to me, this feels like worthy of being in a museum. Yeah, it's special. Like it's a piece of history. I agree. Especially like as time goes on, 10 years, 50 years, whatever, like when global warming has eradicated our civilization. Mm-hmm. I think if When I, we're living in Mad Max times. Yeah, when this is a molten, sun-drenched piece of plastic. You'll be able to barter with it. I'll be able to barter with it. Mad Max style. Yeah. <laughs> For some gasoline. Yeah. I can't. I can't give uh-uh. this up. Yeah. I can't give it Can up. Can I see it? Yeah. So I'm not, but I'm not going to upgrade either. I think I'm, I'm happy with part of what I love about this podcast is it provides me the ability to reflect on, um, these movies and having essentially watched road games three times in preparation of this podcast, which I hope the audience appreciates. (laughs) Um, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. 
You hear that, folks? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm happy and I'm content to move on without without purchasing it. But sure. I recommend others to purchase it. I, I do think, think it's streaming too. Yeah. Um, so it's it's available out there. You've got yeah. a, you've got something to hold on to yeah. if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this movie rocks. There's a ton to come back to for me. Keech is a king. Jamie Lee is a queen. Early charmer from the Academy Award winning actress. Yeah, I'm happy to have this Blu-ray. Happy to hold on to it. I love it. Corey, yeah. final thoughts? I really loved it. It was such a fun... I would highly recommend it for people who are wanting a fun thriller for the night. Stacy Keach delivers. Jamie Lee Curtis delivers. It was a good time. I'm really impressed with this videotape. This looks like the cover of like... Um, Goosebumps is it right because this is obviously kind of more sexual but it's giving me that it's giving me like crime thriller Mm -hmm. book from the 80s mystery novel you definitely gotta that's the thing about VHS tape physical media versus DVD Blu-ray you would never have that reaction to the Blu-ray no to any Blu-ray but there's something about a VHS tape that's like this feels kind of cool yeah but yeah I think kudos to Scream Factory for Mm -hmm. putting together such a thorough Scream Factory rocks I think everyone should make an effort to include audio commentary in every single uh, Blu-ray mm-hmm. bonus features. And if there were no bonus features of the time, create some, create some, mm-hmm. please. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about road games, what do you guys say we play? <laughs> Jamie Lee. Quiz, Jamie Lee. Quiz. That's right. The Jamie Lee Curtis quiz. That was call on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, th- it wasn't call on me uh, sampling. Um, Valerie. Valerie. Yeah. Valerie. Mm-hmm. And then David Guetta changed mm-hmm. it to call on me yeah. sampling it. Mm-hmm. But and then originally I just was... sampled it and mm-hmm. turned it into Jamie Lee. Right. Yeah. Curtis quiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jamie Lee. Curtis Which I recorded Lee. last night at 11 p.m. It's going to get stuck <laughs> in my head. <laughs> All right, Jamie Lee Curtis quiz. Very simple. I read a question. I give you the multiple choice. First person to answer. Make it quick. We know how quizzes work. (laughs) Question number one. (laughs) Director Richard Franklin went to fellow USC alum John Carpenter to get Jamie Lee Curtis's phone number for road games. Jamie Lee worked with John Carpenter on Halloween, The Fog, and which of these other movies? A, Prom Night. B, Terror Train. C, Escape from New York. Or D, they live. Justin, go for it. Prom night? No! No, no, no! That's the wrong answer. (laughs) Escape from New York. You're fantastic. (laughs) Escape from New York with Kurt Russell? Escape from New York with Kurt Russell. Jamie Lee Curtis has an uncredited role as the narrator at the beginning of the film. Question number two. Jamie Lee Curtis plays a Los Angeles aerobics instructor in what 1985 film also starring John Travolta? A. Blue Steel. B. Perfect. C. Love Letters. Or D. Urban Cowboy. Corey? Corey? Was it B. Perfect? You are yes. fantastic. All right. Good job. Tie game. We'll watch that over the pandemic. Nice. Question number three. It's what? very sexy. It's Is a it? good it's a good movie. It's I mean, they have chemistry. You should watch it. Gotta add it to the list. It's fun. It's fun. It's really I, would fun. Su- I would suggest actually watch Urban Cowboy as well. Same director, mm-hmm. also John Travolta. But that, that workout pieces. scene. 
If you crazy. wanted to watch Saturday Night Fever, then Urban Cowboy, then Perfect, you basically get like a trilogy of disco, step cowboy line movie, and then pop aerobics, all dancing. It's a tie game, by the way. Question number three. Don't need updates. What 1999 <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis film was based on a comic book and featured killer extraterrestrial robots invading a Russian research book? What year? 1999. A, Deep Rising. Justin. B, The Relic. Virus. C, Leviathan. Or D, Virus. <laughs> you are fantastic. <laughs> Where are you getting that from? You are fantastic. That was from a Conan O'Brien interview. During the days of True Lies, man, her interview, her talk show interviews during True Lies are awesome. Mm -hmm. She's never looked better. She's got the energy of a Conan O'Brien was a host during True Lies. Actually, you're right. No, that was a little bit later. That was a little bit later. So this is this from a different interview. Oh, okay, a little bit later. So when you like what, walk us through. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. looking for sound bites. Yep. What what are you doing? Going to YouTube mm -hmm. and just like. Well, first I think of a movie thing. First I think of it from road games. And I couldn't, I also did this this morning at, mm -hmm. at 9.30 a.m. <laughs> um, I was trying to think, what are sound bites from road games that could be a yes or no or true or false, you know what I mean? Like a right or wrong answer thing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't for the life of me think of a single fucking one. Mm -hmm. So then I just started like thinking, have I ever heard Jamie Lee Curtis say no? And I remembered the Halloween trailer recently where she's... This is the new Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Which one? It kills. I think oh, of what it was. God, it sounds so bad. Um, <laughs> so I was like, just went and ripped that real quick. And then I couldn't think of her saying yes in anything. And so then I just started watching Jamie Lee Curtis talk show interviews and mm -hmm. went down a little hole with that. It was fun. So how long from when you had the idea to start looking to when you found the clip that you wanted to use? From 9.30 to 9.45 a.m. Uh -oh, that's not bad. Uh -huh. That's a fast find. Yeah. Question number four. Justin's lead, two to Corey's one. Question number four. Jamie Lee Curtis partnered up with Lindsay Lohan in what live action Disney Freaky smash? Friday. You didn't say your name. You are Corey, fantastic. Freaky Friday. Didn't you say your name. You are fantastic. Justin, you are Freaky fantastic. Friday. You are fantastic. <laughs> All right, tie game, two, two. Question number five. Jamie Lee Curtis is the real life godmother of which of these famous siblings? A. Kate and Oliver Hudson, B, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal, C, Jaden and Willow Smith, or D, Dakota and Elle Fanning? I'm gonna guess, mm -hmm. I have no clue. Uh, Justin, Jake, and Maggie Gyllenhaal? You are fantastic. Wow, really? I feel like I would have heard more about this. Okay. I like to call myself a celebrity aficionado. Right. So that's what these quizzes are for, so you can learn something. Okay. Bonus round. Jamie Lee Curtis spent seven years as the official spokesperson for this scientifically Activia. proven- You are fantastic. Corey, Activia. Didn't say your name. Corey. And that makes it a tie game, and that's the way it's going to have to be. Yes, because it's team Corey and Justin over here. Oh, Hashtag yeah. Corey and Justin <laughs> for life. Yeah, forever. Congratulations on playing the- Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> And that, my friends, is the show. 
Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the hell you get these things. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Bye. Bye. I want you to auto-tune my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Do a really long bye. Bye. That was so (laughs) auto-tuned. No auto-tune can fix that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.